I would have to say stop chasing opportunity and work a strategy. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip. And they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times given us his insight on the online lending process. Fund That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. And you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price super important. You can print out all the detailed reports and that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. With us today, Eric Stark. How you doing, Eric? Man, I'm doing well, buddy. Thank you so much for inviting me on the show. Well, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And anyone who I can say has been investing 10 plus years full time and stopped counting after 400 deals, I think we should have on the show. So (laughs) thank you for joining us on the show. In addition to that experience, Eric is the host of Inner Circle Real Estate Podcast. His current focus is building homes and rezoning land to build high-density multifamily apartments. He also still wholesales based in Deerfield Beach, Florida. With that being said, Eric, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. And uh, just to clarify, everybody, even though I do live down in Florida or spend most of my time there, our operation actually runs out of Pleasant Ridge, Michigan, which is just north of Detroit. So we have been running full-time for the last 10 years, my business partner, Steve Mills, and I, and our focus is a marketing-driven, results-based real estate acquisitions and development company. So we focus very, very strategically on areas that can be rezoned and repurposed to their highest and best use. And I guess what I mean by that is instead of taking a simple wholesale deal and making a quick buck. We look for deals that we can buy below market value and do the value add model. And sometimes that consists of blowing the roof off and putting a small addition or knocking down a single family or duplex and putting two, four, six, eight, ten units on what used to be a small multifamily site. So we really focus on the value add model right now and trying to maximize everything we get in our pipeline. I love this. This is going to be a fun conversation because I love adding value to properties and hearing stories of how others have done it. So rezoning and repurposing to the highest and best use is your focus. I can tell 
based on your accent, you are from Michigan. You're not from Florida. Is that correct? <laughs> Born and raised here. So I moved down to Florida with my wife and our 11-year-old son three years ago, but I still come back here usually 10 days to two weeks out of every month and help the team and do more acquisitions, more projects, raise more money, do more marketing and grow and expand the business. So, All right. So let's talk about these deals. When you receive an opportunity, knowing that you're looking to make it the highest and best use scenario, you just got an opportunity, came across your desk. What do you look for and how do you approach it? It's a really great question, and I'll use an opportunity that we actually have in front of us right now, and it's a gentleman that we've been working with for the last several years that has a duplex property right around the corner from our office, and knowing what's possible with the master zoning plans, we are able to visit and start working directly with some of these communities that want to see some of the residential and retail and commercial growth inside of their specific districts. So, We're not just looking at a property and saying, okay, this duplex could use X amount of dollars in renovations, and once we get it to that point, it's worth X amount of dollars. We see what could potentially be on that site, knowing that we could knock that structure down, put two to four or six units on that same lot, and repurpose it to its highest and best use. So we are looking for zoning changes. We are looking for opportunities where we can do the value add model and simply stack on another floor, add another unit, and figure out how we can really just maximize that property's potential, even if it literally means starting from scratch. We're big fans of building new versus trying to put band-aids on something that should have been long and gone. So it's a totally different approach. We really have to take a strategic look at how these properties are zoned what the cities would like to see. And we're actually having a meeting today at four o'clock with the city right up the street. And we were proposing to put 36 units on a quarter acre site. And their biggest concern was, well, what are we going to do with parking? We don't have any off street parking. And our first comment was, well, we're going to take an area that was originally dedicated to be a little outdoor garden area. And we are going to replace it with two parking spots where we would make two Uber drivers available 24 hours a day and it totally changed the way that they let us build that structure. So by having those Uber drivers there that could cater to those residents, we are able to eliminate the need for 15 parking spaces and build more units there. Oh my goodness. It's some out of the box thinking. I know they don't teach this stuff on the seminars and things like that. So let's talk about that real quick. You said 32? Right now it's a flower shop okay. of all things. There's all a right. there's a flower shop sitting on a quarter acre and we were going to put 36 units there. Okay, so there's a flower shop on a corner acre. You want to demolish the flower shop and resurrect 32 units, correct? 36 units. 36, sorry. I'm writing 36 down. I won't make that mistake again. Okay, 36 units and the city said, yeah, but what about parking? Because did you not have any parking incorporated within the 36 units? We were able to dedicate 24 spaces off street, which would basically be first floor parking. It's not going to be underground. We don't have a need to go subterranean yet, but it would be 24 first floor parking spaces. And then the structure would actually be built above that. And then the rest of the parking spaces would all be off site, like a local parking structure just on one of the streets in the surrounding neighborhood. 
But again, by offering those Uber spaces, we were able to eliminate the absolute need for the zoning requirement to eliminate 15 of those spaces. It's a very high-density area, so we're able to present that because, man, let's just face it, there's a lot of people that they don't even need cars anymore to get around these small towns and college communities. Mm-hmm. How much did you budget for with the Uber driver? We haven't even really got into those details. We're still at the very beginning phase of doing the planning and zoning and putting the architecturals together. And we actually got this idea from a company that's doing this in New York. So we haven't really came across an actual budget of what that's going to cost. And it won't be something that's totally our expense. It's something that the residents would pay for. It just helps us eliminate the need for having so many spaces. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff. What's the next step with that project? So we meet with them today at four o'clock and we're pretty sure that they are going to actually allow us to put more units than the proposed 36 there. And I think that the way that we're going to be able to accomplish that is by purchasing two additional sites that are immediately behind the flower shop that would allow us to extend another 85 feet into the protruding neighborhood. So That discussion today will tell us whether we're stuck with the 36 units or whether we could maybe stack another 12 on top of it. Hmm. These aren't 30-day holes. take like 18, 24 months. It just takes a long time. Yeah, that's why I was leading with the next question. Let's talk about dollars and cents for potential profits. What would your all-in cost be for acquisition and development, and what are your projected profits? So where we sit right now, we are looking at right around a $1.6 million acquisition cost. And then it's going to cost us right around $150 per square feet to build that. And I guess one of the last remaining factors is, is it going to be completely residential or are we going to be able to squeeze some retail, which we won't know until our four o'clock meeting today. Okay. So those are the costs and I'm sure you've taken a glimpse or you have an idea of what are the projected profits or else you wouldn't be going through this exercise. What does that look like? At the end of everything, there's only about 800,000 on the table for projected profit on the back end, but our goal isn't really to get any proceeds from the sale. Our goal is to sell everything and keep the remaining units as rental property. So we want to sell some of the penthouse units, keep a few of them as rentals, And every deal that we try to do nowadays, we try to flip some, keep some, and not let go as fast as we used to. I mean, we're talking chestnut checkers at this time. So we're just trying to hang on to more property and control it a little bit longer and walk around it properly and make sure that we're just not letting go of things too quickly. Mm. Tell us the story of another deal where you did a rezoning. We had a deal, this was about 24 months ago in a very high density area in a town called Royal Oak here in Michigan. It's, I think Zillow voted it one of the top 10 best markets to invest in across the United States. And that's the next community up from where our office is located. We had purchased a 1936 constructed two one-bedroom duplexes. Actually, it was a duplex and each unit was one bedroom. So literally like 600 some square feet. Property sat at the very back of the property line And we bought the property, we hung onto it for about five months and cash flowed from it. And we were getting offers from other builders in town that were offering to pay like 75,000 more than we had acquired it for. And it was very tempting to take that quick money. But what we ended up doing with that property was we went to the city, we proposed to build two three-bed 
two-bath, 2,500-square-foot units with subterranean parking underneath the structure. And the unique thing about that project was, although it was sitting in the middle of a residential community, and what I mean by that, it was mostly surrounded by single-family homes, we ended up constructing two 2,500-square-foot brownstone-style condominium units. And the great thing about that is we were able to sell it at the price per square foot that condos were selling for. So we had the acquisition and the build cost of a single family, and we were able to get the sale price of a condominium-style property. So it was the first time that it's ever been done in the community. We raised a lot of fuss with the neighbors it totally changed the way that the city looked at what could be done in the downtown atmosphere. We had some challenges with doing the subterranean parking because we had to do certain kind of water drainage. This project took place in the middle of the summer, and, it, and during that process, we had some very heavy rains that washed out several of our dirt loads that we had brought in. It really was a tough project because nobody had ever done this before. So, I mean, we learned a lot. It was still very profitable. But truly, when you're looking at taking a quick 75000 versus making two fifty after being a trademark property in the community, it felt good knowing that we could do what most people had never done before. Clearly, a lot of your business model and success is because you're able to navigate the inside of a county courthouse or rather zoning and development board building, and you know who to talk to, how to speak their language, what they're interested in. What would be some suggestions you would have for a best ever listener who is looking to do a similar business model in their market and find the highest and best use and get the zoning changes or maybe work within the zoning changes? Because you're blazing your own trail in some cases and in some cases you said at the beginning, you know what's possible within the master zoning plans. What suggestions would you have for someone? It's really a great question. And I think first and foremost, it starts with real estate 101. You have to have a very demanding location. So most of the areas that we focus on are the parts of town where you want to take your spouse out to dinner on Friday night. It's a very professional makeup of who the residents are in that community. But you have to start with an in-demand location where people want to call home. And we actually began getting into building and development. I don't want to say by accident, but it just kind of grew as we were wholesaling and assigning some of these lots to the local builders and realizing we were getting such great deals. Why not make the additional margin on the development side? So taking this back to 2011 when all this began, we were wholesaling and assigning lots and properties that needed to be bulldozed from anywhere from 35 to 50. In one case, we got a $105,000 assignment fee to a builder and my business partner, who's kind of the visionary behind most of these big development deals, is like, well, why don't we just partner with some of these guys and start making that margin on top of the fees we could already make? So choose the in-demand location. Find a builder that you're comfortable with, because if not, you got to learn what's possible in the building world. So we partnered with a third-generation builder who's our age. He was the guy that we were kind of selling a lot of our lots to at the beginning. And we just sat down with him and said, hey, on this next deal, why don't we work it together? We bought it. We own it and control it. You have the understanding of what can be built there. And we kind of showed him how to find really, really great deals. And he kind of showed us what was possible when it became to the building and development side. And from there, it was just picking our communities, getting to know the zoning board, 
finding out what areas are part of the master plan that are ready to be rezoned for a highest and better use and start your marketing campaign to go after those properties very strategically. We don't do thousands and thousands of mailers. Most of them are very focused, a couple hundred addresses at the most, but it lets us send out letters that allows us to get very personal with these people and let them know who we are, what we're looking to accomplish. And some people absolutely hate it because they want to keep the character of their community. And some people love it because if it's good for the tax base, it's usually good for the community. Mm. The properties you go after very strategically are the ones that are in the what area exactly? Will you repeat what you said? As far as location, they're just in the areas where you want to take your spouse out to well, dinner. They're right. just... But you said something about they're an area where there's rezoning happening or what did you say? When you go to any city's master plan, you will find that there could be several properties that may be highlighted in red, meaning they're single family, independent homes. But a part of the new master plan, they may be allowing one side of that street that faces toward the in-town, it's called an infill section, but they may allow one whole side of the street to become getting demolished so you could put two or four units on there. So if you're looking dollar for dollar just to knock over an old house and build a new one, your margins are still very thin. But if you can knock over a single family house and put two back-to-back single family properties there, now you just created a double whammy for a single house acquisition price. How often are those plans created? The master plans are generally only updated, I'd say, every decade or so. And you're probably not going to find many master plans. You're highly unlikely to go to the city of Detroit and find anything out of the immediate downtown center that's part of the master plan. It's generally based around high dense areas where people spend a lot of their time. There's a lot of retail. There's a lot of central business, maybe some light industrial surrounding the community borders, but you're just not going to go to big suburban areas and find a a huge master plan. So it all starts with being in a great location. And you said part of it is know the zoning board. What do you mean by that? We call it the good old boys club. In just about every community across America, there is a board of directors that work for these cities and they are the ones that give the judgment calls whether you are allowed to build a third floor or whether you can put subterranean parking or whether you can squeeze that additional unit on site. And the general rule that we found is if it's good for the tax base, they're generally going to approve it. And what I mean by that is if you have a 1930s duplex that's sitting there and the taxes are only $1,800 a year, but we're proposing to knock that over and build two three-bed, two-bath, 2,500 square foot townhomes that are each going to get bumped up to $4,500 each per year. Now they're taking something that was only bringing in $1,800 in revenue and bringing in $4,500 in revenue. They usually don't reject that kind of proposal. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I would have to say stop chasing opportunity and work a strategy. Yeah, I like it. That's definitely a theme here. That's for sure. And I don't even have to ask you to elaborate on that because that's what you've been talking about this entire time. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work. 
help you analyze if the project's profitable and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read? Oh, The Places You'll Go by Sue Skeisel. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? I would say the best ever, man, the best ever growth experience. I'd say being a parent. (laughs) What'd you learn about it? Patience and how to be a kid again. Best ever deal you've done? I still love my quick, fast turn wholesale deals, man. I love to buy a property and turn it over to somebody else and make a quick buck so I can go back to being a family man. Best ever way you like to give back? I donate a lot of my time to my local community, Habitat for Humanity, my men's group, my ministry down in Florida. I love to help other people learn and get from where they are to where they want to be. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Six-figure mistakes. <laughs> I've made a lot. I've made some six-figure mistakes in my life, man. What's one of them? Just not knowing what my exit strategy was and hanging on for too long, thinking that the market was working in my favor and it wasn't. And so the solution is to know what your exit strategy is and have multiple exit strategies? Multiple exit strategies, not just one. When you do a redevelopment and you are creating something that the area hadn't seen before, similar to the 1936 duplex How do you have multiple exit strategies with something like that? Try to make that your cost of acquisition and your cost of build is enough for you to either get some long-term financing and hang on to it as a rental. Again, we always try to retain a portion of whatever we build, but when you're building two units, especially the first time, it's not always possible. But my first goal is to always try to keep a portion of it. But if not, you have to make sure that you're able to completely wash yourself free by selling. Even if you walk away with nothing more than an education, that's a good day. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? They can contact me. I'm on Instagram at Real Estate Hacks, or they can follow me online, social media at the Eric Stark. Eric, thank you for being on the show and sharing your business strategy of identifying and opportunities to make the highest and best use scenario happen through rezoning or repurposing real estate, being laser focused being really included in on the local community because you've got to be in tune with what the local community wants. Sounds like the master plan for the community, knowing what the needs are. It's marketing and business 101. You know the needs of the community and then you're simply identifying how to provide those needs to the community. And as you said, a good rule of thumb is if it's good for the tax base, they'll generally approve it but certainly having those relationships and being in a high demand location are critical components. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. 
the conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to BestEverConference.com.